Anyway, Matthew chapter number two, I'm going to begin in verse number one. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gifts gold, frankincense, and myrrh, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country. Today, we continue in our series, Bounce Had a Rebound from a Bad Year, and we're returning for a second look at what we called wisdom for the from the wise men for 2021. And today's bit of wisdom that I want to look at is worship Jesus. How many of you know whether it's good or bad, you ought to worship Jesus? I don't mean the worship, I mean life. Whether life is good or bad, you ought to worship Jesus. Whether it's up or down, you ought to worship Jesus. Where everything is either falling apart or falling in place, one of the things you ought to live your life by is live in a place of worship. And you're going to see why in just a moment. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you today. For your word, we thank you for speaking to us and for showing up and meeting with us and encouraging us and building us up. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, you may be seated. As we said last year, or last week, this year is not a typical new year. Because even though we want to turn the page and move on from COVID 2020, we said its shadow is still following us into 2021. And so this year begins with not just the new, not just new goals, not just new aspirations, not just a new focus or a new outlook or new dreams or a new you, but this year begins with a continual struggle with the surreal events that happened last, last year and continue to unfold right before our eyes. And consequently, we are tasked with the challenge of learning how to manage through the COVID crisis while at the same time looking forward to the exciting things that a new year brings. And this tension requires wisdom. And what better place to go for wisdom than a story about the wise men? Now, you might recall last week, we said that this story isn't particularly and exclusively just a Christmas story. And we said the reason why it is not particularly and exclusively just a Christmas story is because you might recall there is theological debate in the world of theologians on whether the wise men got there as much as 12 days after Jesus was born 
all the way up to two years. Everybody agrees that he didn't show up on the day that he was born. And so this is really not a Christmas text. It is a shortly after Christmas text, which is the new year. For all you haters who are thinking, ah, pastor, why are you using a Christmas text right now? Furthermore, within this story, you will remember that there are three gems of wisdom for how we should live our life in any given year. And they are patterned for us in the life or the story or the journey of the wise men. The first thing is they found Jesus. The second thing is they worshiped Jesus. And the third thing is they left another way. That is the abridged version of the wise man's journey, but it is our roadmap for how you and I are to live the kind of life that God wants us to have. In every and every situation, first thing, find Jesus. Second thing, worship Jesus. Third thing, make sure in that experience with Jesus, you are changed or you leave another way. Today, I want to unpack the second gem, worship Jesus. This is precisely what the wise men did when they found Jesus. They worshiped him because that's what anybody who truly encounters Jesus after a long, arduous, laborious, tedious, tiresome journey does. They worship him. See, when you've been through a long, hard battle or a long, hard journey and you find Jesus, the first thing that you will instinctively do is worship Jesus. After you have fought hard and you have been beaten down and suddenly you find Jesus, you will worship him. After you have struggled and strained and stressed and you find Jesus, you'll worship him. And the reason is because after you've experienced all that and you encounter Jesus, you suddenly realize that you have found help and you have found hope and you have found strength and you have found peace and you have found rest and you have found refuge. When you find Jesus, you find the longing of your soul when you've gone through a journey of struggle. And so when they came to Jesus, they found him and they worshiped him. That's what everybody in the Bible did after long, hard, tiresome, laborious journeys did. You remember the madman in Gadara found or spoken of in Matthew chapter 5. He was possessed with a legion of demons. The man had been a vessel for the enemy's purposes. He cut himself and he wasn't able to think straight. But when he found Jesus, the word of God says, Matthew 5, verse number 6, when he saw him afar off, he ran to him and he worshipped him. Why? He found the answer in the middle of his crisis. That's what one of the ten lepers did. One of the ten lepers, when he found out that he was healed, after living a life watching his fingers fall off and his toes fall off and his face being distorted, after he found Jesus, the word of God said that he returned with a loud voice and glorified God and he fell down at his feet and he gave him thanks. That's what Jairus did. He was on the hardest of journeys of all. He had a sick child that was at the point of death. And the Bible says that this ruler, in the middle of that long, hard, horrible journey, when he found Jesus, he came and he worshiped him. When the journey is long, when it's tiresome, 
when it's weary, when it's a battle, when you're constantly giving your strength out all of the time, when you're being pushed to the brink of bitterness and unforgiveness and all of those things, and suddenly in the midst of that journey, you find Jesus. I'm telling you, you will fall down and you will worship Jesus because he is the answer to any journey in life. Pastor, what is worship? Very simply, it's when you ascribe Worthship to Christ through your words and through your actions. Worthship to Christ through your words and your actions. We all know the part of worship that revolves around us using our words. We, we just did it. We, we came into church and we sang worship songs and we sang praise songs and we played our instruments and we lifted up our voices to God. We all know that part of worship. Matter of fact, the Bible talks extensively about it. In Psalm 150, it says, praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet and with the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbre and the dance. Praise him with the strings and instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. For all you people always complain that the music is just too loud. In heaven, they got loud symbols. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Hebrews chapter 13 says, Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to him. That is the worship part where we express worship to God with our words. And it's described, notice worship, as the fruit of our lips. And the reason why worship is described as the fruit of our lips is because our lips are an extension of our heart. As the scripture says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what happens when you open your mouth and give God worship, you are revealing to God how you feel about him in your heart. Listen to me, fellas. Don't be a mute when it comes to worship. You know, you get in the church and a lot of times you see ladies and they got their worship on. You know, they're raising their hands. They got a little motion going to them and everything. And then you see the guys, they're like. But you know what's funny about the guys? The guys will get in front of a TV set. You're going to watch Tom Brady and Drew Brees go at it. And you're going to say a whole lot. You're going to jump on the couch and everything. Don't you dare allow a sports team or a sports figure to get more worship from you than God. Give God your worship. Open up your mouth. He wants to hear how you feel about him. Don't be nonverbal. But you know what? Worship is more than just words. Worship is is actions by our actions. Did you notice the text says that when they had come into the house and they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, they fell down and notice they worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The action of giving Jesus gifts, their treasure was an act of worship. They were worshiping God with their gifts and notice gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Do you know theologians have placed a value on those gifts? They said they estimate those gifts were worth $120 million. Let me just ask you a question. Just just time out right here. That had nothing to do with the message, but just time out. 
If somebody hit you up with 120 million, would you be broke? Anybody in here be broke? Somebody gave you 120 million dollars broke? Where do we get this idea that Jesus was broke? At his birth. Cousin, these dudes are chopped 120 large, 120 million large on him right there on the spot. Right? And people misunderstand because, you know, birds of the air, they have nests and foxes of the hold. They have, they have, you know, uh, fields, but the son of man has no place to lay his head, people say. That's when Jesus was traveling in ministry. He didn't have a home to go to all the time because he was on the road in ministry. If you read in its context, if you read other places in context, like for instance, this, Mary and Joseph were in a house when the wise men found them. So Jesus had a house. There, so he really had a place to live, blah, 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 blah. Here's my point. They came, though, and they worshiped him. The action was they gave him their gifts. Our giving church, listen to us, is, and don't get nervous. Some of you getting worried about it right now. The, the offering's already gone by. You don't have to worry. We're not taking an offering right now. I just want to show you this. Our church, our, our giving church, is more than charitable contribution. It is an act of worship whereby we let God know through our actions how much he means to us in our heart. It is not a business exchange where we give to God in order to get something from God, although God always blesses us with more than we could ever give him. But there is an undeniable link between the action of our giving, what we do with our treasure, and where our heart is. Jesus himself said it. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When you give to something, you watch over that thing. I open up my retirement account every day to see how it's doing because I give to it. You know what I've always tried to maintain in my life? And this is just me. This is not a scriptural thing. I've always tried to make, make sure that the number one thing I give to in amount is God more than anything else that I give. Higher than my mortgage, higher than my retirement account, higher than anything. I always want to make sure that God is not just first in when I give him, but he's first in what I give him. I want God to be on the top of the food chain because I want to worship God. I want him to know by my actions how I feel about him every moment of every day. Our giving, our actions is worship. And the word that is used in this text for they worshiped him is a Greek word that is used only to describe the worship of a God. There are different words for worship. Some of it doesn't refer to the worship of a God, but this word does. And that's what we see in the text. That's why when the wise men came and they saw the child with their mother Mary, notice who they worshiped with their gifts. They gave their gifts not to Mary. They gave their gifts to Jesus. Because Mary, listen to me carefully, is a hundred percent human and zero percent God. But Jesus was a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man at the same time. Now listen, Mary is wonderful, chosen, blessed, highly favored, but she is not deity. She is not mediator. We don't pray to Mary. Nowhere in the Bible does it say to pray to Mary. Matter of fact, the Bible emphatically says there is one mediator between God and man and he is the man, Christ Jesus. Be careful who and what you give your worship to.
Don't give your worship to your career. You might get fired. Don't give your worship to your spouse. They might disappoint you. Don't give your worship to a movie star or a professional athlete. They may turn out to be less than what they seem to be on TV. Don't give your worship to a politician. They may be at an office soon. Hello? And I'm not talking about anybody in specifically. Don't, don't read into that more. I'm talking about any politician. See, we worship the wrong stuff. And God is saying, I and I am alone am the one who is worthy of your worship. Like the old song says, because can't nobody do us like Jesus. Can't nobody heal you like Jesus, provide for you like Jesus, give you peace like Jesus, turn your life around like Jesus, carry you like Jesus, care for you like Jesus, answer your prayers like Jesus, give you joy like Jesus, lift you like Jesus, love you like Jesus, and can't nobody save you like Jesus. Can't nobody do you like Jesus. Careful who you give your worship to. Matter of fact, this worship that the wise men ascribed to Jesus was an expression of an epiphany. Matter of fact, you've heard the song, um, the uh, three, three kings of Oriental. What's it called? Somebody help me out. We three kings of Orient are. You heard that? It's called a carol of epiphany. Right? And the reason why it's called the carol of epiphany is because it is believed that when the wise men came, they knew they were coming potentially to see somebody important, but not necessarily that this was going to be God that they were going to see. And when they got there, they had this epiphany that indeed he was God. Matter of fact, there is an ancient Iranian legend about the wise men. Why is it an Iranian legend? Well, because the wise men came from the Far East or Babylon, right, or Persia, and they came all the way to Bethlehem, and so that's modern-day Iran. And so the, the way that the legend goes, and let me make it clear, this is legend. It is not scripture. It is, it is legend. They said that there were three. We know that the Bible never says how many there were, right? One, they say, was named Beltejar. One was Gaspar, and one was named Melkar. And these three kings, we know that they weren't kings, but rather they worked for kings. They came to worship a newborn prophet and to look uh, and took with them these three gifts. This is how the legend goes, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They wanted to discover whether he was a prophet or a god or earthly king or healer. They said if he takes the gold, he's an earthly king. If he takes the frankincense, that he is a god. If he takes the myrrh, that he's a healer. And so when they had come to the place where the baby was born, the youngest of the three kings went in all by himself, and he found out that when he looked at Jesus, that he was like himself in age and appearance, and he was mystified, and he walked out. And then walked in the next, the middle-aged guy of the three. And when he, he had the same experience, he looked at the baby Jesus and he found out that he indeed looked in appearance and in age just like himself. And then the eldest of them went in and he had the same experience that he looked in appearance and in age just like him. And they were all mystified. And so they all went in together. And then when they all went in together, they finally saw him as he was. And they presented him these gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And he took all three. And so they had an appearance that he was just not an earthly king, that he was just not a God and he was just not a healer, but he was God who came to be earthly king and healer of mankind's soul. And so they worshiped him as the savior king who had come to set the world free from sin. 
That's the legend. Pretty good legend. Biblically, the gold stood for royalty. The frankincense deity. The myrrh for death. And so the wise men had an epiphany that this child that they bowed in worship before was the royal deity who came to die for the sins of mankind. That he was and is God manifest in the flesh who came to the earth to pay a sin that he did not owe because we had a debt that we could not pay. Every time you worship God with your actions... Or your words, you are declaring him to be God and Savior over your life, no matter what the circumstances or no matter what God looks like in the circumstances. You say, well, what do you mean, Pastor? At that moment, he looked like an ordinary child. But their worship declared him to be God despite what he looked like. When we worship, we are saying despite what it looks like, you're still God in my life. Despite what it looks like, you still rule and reign in my life. Despite what it looks like, you're still on the throne. Despite what it looks like, this hasn't caught you by surprise. Despite what it looks like, you're not worried. Despite what it looks like, you still have a plan. God, despite what it looks like, you will be glorified in my situation. You will be lifted high in my situation. When we worship, no matter what it looks like, we're saying, you're God over everything that concerns me. And watch what happens around you when you declare him as God in the middle of your circumstances. You see, worship is the gift that God desires most from all of us. And of all the things that God could ask for, he asked for one thing more than anything else, and that is worship. Max Lucado wrote of the gift of worship given to Jesus by the wise men or by, or by the angels, excuse me, on the day of his birth. He said this, but there is one gift that might appear a bit curious. He's talking about around the birth of Christ. The angel's gift of worship. The angels, he says, filled the night with light and the air with music. And well, that's it. They worshiped. Couldn't they have done something more useful? Mary could have used a bed. Joseph would have benefited from an angelic escort back to Nazareth. The baby needed a bassinet. These were angels, didn't they know better? Then again, they were angels. Who knew Jesus better than them. Those who knew Jesus best and loved him the dearest, those who had followed him the longest, gave him the gift of worship. Worship is the gift that God wants from us most because it is an expression of where our heart stands. And listen to me, God is after your heart. God is after your heart over and over again in scripture. Ezekiel 36, 26, a new heart will I give you and a new spirit will I put inside of you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. Jeremiah 27, verse 24, verse number seven. And I will give them a heart to know me. That I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. How about this one? Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. 
in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Can I tell you something? God's coming for your heart. You can try to lock God out all you want, but God is relentless in his pursuit of your heart. He will constantly and always come right for your heart and God will use whatever means he has to use in order to get to your heart because your heart is where all of the essence of you resides. That's why even when I preach, the word of God is not just penetrating your head. It is dealing with your heart. It is not linked to my oratory skills. It is in embedded into the DNA of God's word. And so every time preaching goes forth, it, it doesn't only deal with your head, it penetrates and deals with your heart. God begins to do surgery on the inside of you. And sometimes you even hear things that I didn't say because God is after your heart. He's coming after it in every way. When we worship, we are giving God our heart. Worship is the gift that God desires most, but it is also the gift that gives back to the giver. The gift that keeps on giving. The gift that never fails to produce a return of blessing and goodness in our lives. Three things I want to share with you and then I'm done. Number one, what we worship, our path will be directed. The wise men traveled all the way from Babylon to Bethlehem, 900 miles following a star. The star got them to the right place, to the place where the Savior would be born. On the journey, the star, we looked at this last week, disappeared. And so they went to inquire of Herod where the king of the Jews was to be born. Herod had them had to check with the scribes and the experts in the law, and they said Bethlehem. So the wise men left, and when they came out of the consultation with Herod, the star reappeared and took them to the place that they desired to go to. Their path was being directed Because they came, listen to me, with the intent to worship. This is deep. They hadn't even worshiped yet. Just the intent of coming ready to worship. In short, something that every single one of us needs on our journey in life. And that is for our path to be directed. When they got lost, they were directed back right. When the star disappeared, the star reappeared. When they had to consult with an evil person, they eventually got at the place that they needed to go. Because their path was being directed as a result of their worship. Just the intent. That's why when I come to church, I come ready to worship. Because you never know on my drive over when I have the intent of worshiping what God might just want to do. The intent of worship will cause you to be directed by God in life. Listen, they hadn't even worshiped yet, but God was directing them. God wants you to worship your way to your journey. Worship your way through your journey. Worship your way to your destination. Worship your way through your depression. Worship your way through your confusion. Worship your way through your down times. Worship your way through your challenges. Worship your way through your detours. Worship your way. The seven dwarfs whistled while they worked. You need to worship on your way because when you worship, your path 
will be directed. Say, Pastor, what do you mean to direct it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. The giving of my heart is giving in worship. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your path. What does this mean? Guide my path. Orchestrate my path. Ordain my path. Set up my path. The steps of a good man, the steps of a good woman are ordered of the Lord. He will map out my path. He will make straight my path. He will make my path prosperous. He will make my path good. One of the translations says, he will level my path. You want to know how to level the path in front of you? Worship your way through anything in life and God will level your path. I wish I could get a good amen in here tonight. Some of y'all have a blank stare because I don't know why, but anyway. Number two, when we worship, it ensures that we will bow to the right wisdom. The entire narrative of the wise men, the entire event, it's a picture. It's a picture of the wisdom of the world bowing before the wisdom of God. The wise men were the best of the best that the world had to offer. They were the most educated. They were the gurus. They were the Harvard graduates. They were the combination of a magician, politician, and presage, an advisor, an astrologer. They were the embodiment of the world's wisdom, which, by the way, was not what told them who Jesus was. When they got there, there was no way on their, in their own knowledge, they looked at a baby and knew that that baby was the savior of the world. The Holy Spirit had to reveal that to them. There is still the work of the Holy Spirit that supersedes the wisdom of this world and reveals to us the ways of Almighty God. And it is far superior than any wisdom that the world can give you. If you really want insight that goes beyond your foresight, you need to tap into the wisdom and revelation of the Holy Spirit. He will say no when everything is saying yes. He will say yes when everything is saying no. He will defy wisdom because he is God. He is our leader and our guider into all truth. We need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And so these wise men, they represented everything that the world had to offer. But in this, they, the world's wisdom bowed to the wisdom of God. Worship will make sure that you bow to the right wisdom when the world has gone wild. Worship will make sure that we hear the whisper of God's wisdom louder than the cries of the world's wayward wisdom. Worship will make sure that we follow God's word and God's ways and adhere to God's wisdom, which is always different in many, many ways, I should say, than the world's wisdom. Worship will make sure that the world, when the world says, look out for number one, and you know paybacks are a son of a gun, that you're able to forgive 70 times, seven times. Worship will make sure that then when the world says, you know what, you need to, you need to put yourself first, you'll remember God's wisdom that says, you know, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Worship will make it so you obey God's wisdom. When the world says you're not smart enough, right enough, good looking enough, educated enough, you'll hear the whisper of God in his wisdom that says, in Christ you are more than enough. Worship makes you bow to the right wisdom. The reason why the church got confused the last year is because prior to the last year, the church lost its worship. 
worship became about what it's never intended to be. I love the lights. Ilder does a great job with our lights. I love it. They do a fantastic job. They synchronize it. They make it look good. I love that. I love the smoke. Somebody said, well, Pastor, I don't like that. You ever read about what heaven is like? Lightning coming out from the throne. If you don't like it here, you ain't going to like it there. But worship is never meant to be about the lights, the camera, or the action. Worship is always meant to be about God. And so the church lost its worship, and in the process of losing its worship, it's lost its ability to bow before the right wisdom. But number three, and lastly, when we worship, we are warned so that we can win. When we worship, we are warned so that we can win. Herod was scheming while the wise men were searching. He had the perfect plan. They would find Jesus and report back to him. And then he would kill them and kill Jesus. But something happened in between them finding Jesus and reporting back to Herod. Did you notice what that event was that took place in between them finding Jesus and reporting back to Herod? They worshipped. And because they worshipped, they worshipped him as the royal deity, the God, savior, king, with their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And because they worshipped, verse 12 says, they were warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod until they departed to their own country another way. Because they worshipped, they were warned so their enemy couldn't win. Friends, why aren't we warned like we should be warned? Are we spending enough time in worship? You see, when we worship God, the scripture declares that his enemies are scattered. When we worship God, the things that seem to bind us will drop powerless behind us. When we worship God, chains fall. When we worship God, bondages break. When we worship God, the enemy's plan for our life is interrupted. When we worship God, God shows up. When we worship God, God goes before us and behind us and beside us all around us when we worship God we worship him with the weapons that are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds did you know that when we worship God God steps in say pastor what do you mean listen 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 I asked God this question I said I said God why is it that when worship goes up from our hearts or through our actions to you, that you are attracted like a magnet to it. That you show up and circumstances change or there's a calm in me and my fears are wiped away. And here's what God said to me. He said, because I consider it a personal thing when you worship. I said, what do you mean, God? He said, well, you see way back when, I put Lucifer in charge. Listen, listen, listen to this. I put Lucifer in charge of giving me worship in heaven. 
And he tried to take that worship and give it to himself. And so what happens is when you begin to worship me and the enemy steps in, I consider that him trying to steal the worship that belongs to me. And I say, oh, no, devil, you can't have my worship. When you worship, God takes it so personal that he will stop the enemy in his tracks. That's why the enemy wants to stop your worship. That's why the enemy wants to keep you mute in the middle of the presence of God. That's why the enemy wants to shut your mouth because when you worship, God steps in. Come on, stand to your feet with me. Come on, stand to your feet with me.